Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months and he just came by a couple weeks ago. Pestex is locally owned. They use pet-friendly products, which my dogs like. And most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They'll evaluate every customer's pest problem and find the best way to solve it. Spring is here and summer is approaching, so Pestex has started to schedule yard sprays for fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes. To get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up Pestex on Facebook or Instagram. This episode is also sponsored by the WT Enterprise Center, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this summer. More about them in a little bit. Today's guest is Michelle McCaffrey. Now, I've been teasing a new business venture for a few weeks now, and it's time to spill the beans. And maybe you've seen it on Facebook or social media already, but Michelle is my new publishing partner. Together, we are launching a new Amarillo-focused magazine. It's called Brick and Elm. And the first issue of Brick and Elm publishes in May, which is, well, it's this week. To be honest, though, Michelle has been on my potential guest list since I started this podcast. She was the publisher of Amarillo Magazine for more than a decade. She created it. She guided it. She hired me to write for it many, many years ago. And when that part of her career came to an end, she wasn't quite ready yet to quit telling stories about Amarillo. So here we are today with something brand new. Here's Michelle McCaffrey. Michelle McCaffrey, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, So obviously we have a lot of things to talk about, um, but I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's to ask why you're here in this area. So how did you end up in Amarillo in the first place? I was born here. Um, my sister and I were actually the first twins born at, um, it's now BSA, but it was High Plains Baptist Hospital. Yeah. Okay. We used to have a plaque in the maternity ward. Did you really? We did. My sister has it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty big deal to, uh-huh. to have a plaque named after you in a hospital. Yeah. It's weird, huh? <laughs> did your, um, I mean, did, do you know why your family ended up here? So my parents are not from here. Um, my dad's from Kansas, um, from a strong German family. My mother's from Pennsylvania, from a strong Italian family. But they, in the in the 60s, did the, um, they were both older bachelors, confirmed bachelor kind of people, and they lived with their siblings. Hmm. So my mother lived with her sister and took care of her children for her, and they lived in Lubbock at the air base. And then my Aunt, my dad lived with her and helped with her kids, and they lived at the air base here. So they were Catholic, and they uh, they were very they're very very Catholic, and um, went they met at a singles group in Lubbock at a Catholic singles group. Okay, otherwise would never have had a chance to meet. Yeah, between Lubbock and mm-hmm. Amarillo, what was it? The air base that uh-huh. got them settled here, I yes. guess, eventually. Mm-hmm. And then their siblings ended up moving. They kept traveling through the military, but they stayed. Okay. Did you, um, you know, growing up here, were you one of those people that wanted to get out once you graduated, or did you have a sense that you might stick around Amarillo? I wanted to leave. Did you leave? badly. No. Nope. I made certain choices that made it where I couldn't leave. Okay. So kind of stuck here. Um, 
but not sorry about it. No, I wouldn't leave. Thinking back to when you were in high school and college age, I mean, what was the goal at that point? What did you think you wanted to do? Well, my, the wrong direction was I thought that I should be an accountant. And now (laughs) I can't imagine, but, um, I worked at Tascosa National Bank as a young teenager in DECA, which is a work program in high school. Yeah. So at 16, I was a teller at Tescos National Bank, and in order to have help with college, I had to choose a major that they would pay for, and that was accounting. Okay. And that lasted two semesters. <laughs> that was it. Maybe one semester. Um, but I, I wanted to leave. I wanted to be involved in fashion. I, I saw myself as a makeup artist, a so celebrity makeup artist. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you pursue that in college? I mean, is that something that you can, you can do? No, I quit because my only option was um, night school, and I couldn't handle it. I worked full-time. I had three jobs, and then to go to school at night, I was too tired, and I was in there with old people who were Mm. talking about their children and boring stuff, and so I was so disgusted with it and bored, and so I stopped, and I worked. I've worked since I was 13. Wow. Foolishly. So I just... I had big plans and I wanted a nice apartment and I wanted a nice car and I had to pay all those bills. So I just worked. So. And I know you did eventually end up uh, in the makeup world. Tell me, tell me about that and how, you know, you kind of got your start in that, that industry. I had friends who connected me with um, an account rep from Lancome. So it was L'Oreal USA and I was 23 and they did hire me. And so I traveled and did freelance work. I did freelance work on my own weddings and graduation photos and stuff like that for 15 years. What does that mean traveling as a a rep for a makeup company? I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Are you selling the makeup to retailers or? You are, um, they would back, back in the good old days, they used to do big, huge spa events. And so they would, um, have special facilities that people could book an appointment. And so you would do a full on makeover. So not not really responsible for selling, but um, spending a good bit of time with people. Uh, for me personally, it was helping women to see themselves differently, mm-hmm. even though I know the goal was to sell as much as possible. I never felt that pressure, though. I really loved it. And that was something that you could do based here? I mean, was it pretty mm-hmm. regional in the work that you were doing? Or? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was very flexible. I had um, a young child at the time. And I mean, I made a lot of money It it paid really well. And I was able to kind of work around his schedule and Hmm. I loved it though. That's my favorite thing. It was my favorite thing up until Amarillo magazine that I'd ever done. And I think the question that's obvious for a lot of people is how you went from doing that to magazine publishing, because that's, that's not the typical Hmm. career Mm -hmm. path either, either direction. No. So tell me, tell me that story, how that happened. That career was coming to an end. Um, I had some physical problems where I couldn't stand for long periods anymore. Um, and it was just time. I mean, I, I just kept yearning for something more, and I didn't know what it was. And so I was up late at night reading the classified ads, <laughs> wishing, and Amarillo Uptown had an ad in the paper for a position. And I thought, well, that looks like fun. I could do that. So I applied. Emerald Uptown was the first, the first magazine that the Globe mm-hmm. News published. Women only. What, yeah. what year did that start? 2007, I think. Okay. Maybe 2008, but I think 07. And what was the position? 
I think they said content coordinator or something like that. It had just a little brief description and I just thought it sounded fun. So I didn't get it. Um, they did not choose me. They, they hired someone from out of town, but I just knew that it was mine. I knew for positively certain that I would have it. So Hmm. I called because I was wondering why they hadn't called me. Yeah. (laughs) And they told me that they hadn't chosen me and I was just devastated because I just knew. And through some different unusual circumstances and knowing certain people, the editor of that magazine ended up calling me and we met and they hired me. And so did you do content coordination? I did. Is that, that the was job my that first you ended job up with? Title. Mm-hmm. Working for that former editor. And what did that, what did that look like for, uh, for that magazine at that point in time? What were the things that you were doing? It was an assistant editorship, really. Okay. Um, photo shoot coordination, booking photo shoots, um, going on those photo shoots, directing content, any ideas, all of it, everything. Immediately. A lot of those things are things that people might have a natural skill at, you know, whether it's thinking about content, you don't have to have training to do that. Um, Administering photo shoots and things. I mean, that's just organization, but there's also a creative aspect to it Mm -hmm. and knowing how to direct a photographer or especially on the editing side that people go to school to learn. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you kind of learned that on the job, right? I did. I'm, I learned from my mistakes, and I learned from the people I worked with. Did it come easily, or was it a struggle? Um, I mean, you, it sounded like in high school, in, you, know, you did accounting, you were drawn to maybe that side of things, and words and numbers are often like separate parts of people's brains. Well, the funny thing is that I wasn't drawn to numbers. I was, I was uh, drawn to words. Okay. So I was on the yearbook staff and okay. all that kind of thing. So that's and why the accounting thing didn't work. No. Completely not. It was just me desperately hoping for help with college. Okay. Um, and I, it, it didn't work. I just couldn't do it. it was, I was so bored. And I was, I was a teller at the time. So it just, it was something that I chose just hoping to get a degree of some kind. And then I couldn't finish. So you had a little bit of background to draw from, or at least some exposure to it, even though a high bit. school mm-hmm. yearbook is not quite the same as a, a monthly no. magazine. no. Really nothing. I don't I don't know how to explain just that I was given the chance and it turns out that I'm good at it. So And then initially that first magazine published by the Globe News went away and was replaced by something else. So tell it was me about, what happened. I think the after about six months the editor left and we had started talking about getting rid of Uptown and doing a true city magazine. And so from the beginning of Amarillo magazine I was on that team. So writer uh, Jenny Miller was the first writer, and I knew that when she applied for the job, I knew that she would work with me. Mm-hmm. So we had a great time together, and we just, neither one of us having, she did have a journalism degree, um, but never worked on a magazine staff or anything. So we just kind of, we came up with all the sections ourselves and just did it. We just had to do it, and we had a blast. So what year did that launch? uh, July, 2009. Okay. Yeah. Did it take you a few months to kind of form it or, or find your footing and what it was going to be? Cause I I know a monthly magazine, like once you start, it just continues and continues. But, um, did, did you have like a fully formed vision from the beginning? 
we had a creative director at the time, so I didn't have as much control creatively as I would have liked. We just did stuff, and if it worked, we grew it, and if it didn't, we changed it. We were very fluid. So we, when we look back at it, the work to me is so hilarious. But we did something. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for what's cooking, for example, the cooking feature was about chefs. And so we thought we could interview local chefs. Well, a lot of cooks in Amarillo are cooks, but they're not chefs. Right. So that quickly changed. It didn't work. Then it turned into us cooking, which was hilarious. And so the whole thing morphed based on my background of sales and marketing, really, even though I was in makeup, it was a constant push to market with other businesses to try and increase exposure for the brands that I represented. And that is what I carried into the magazine is, is that strong sense of collaboration with others. So outside experts became my editor staff, hmm. my, my expert voice. And that's a unique, oh, maybe not unique, but that's an aspect of magazine publishing that a lot of people don't realize because they look at it and they see, well, oh, it's articles and it's photos. Not always understanding that it's, for one thing, it's often driven by advertising, mm-hmm. but but there's also for a regional or community magazine like that one that just is dependent on the people, mm-hmm. um, the experts that you're talking to, the businesses that you're highlighting, all those things that is so important to how a magazine operates. So we had, we have always had five people or less on staff. And mm. so there are, there is no home editor. There's not a cooking editor. There's not a photo editor. And then all the editors underneath of them, the public, those are my, that where they are the ones who share their expertise with me and make the magazine. They made the magazine what it was. What was the response to it? You know, as you got started, as it started, I mean, because that, that transition, um, you know, from that was kind of female focused to one that was a true city magazine, like you said, um, that was a that was a change. But did did the people, the the magazine reading public, respond to it? I feel looking back, I think that it was very difficult to me. I remember it being a hard sell hmm. for people. Um, Uptown seemed to be to me. It was kind of silly, but people the response was a little bit more buoyant. Because of that, I think. Like it wasn't in-depth features no. about things like no. the magazine ended up doing. That was more, I don't kind know. Kind of fluffy and yeah. fun. And part of that really bothered me because that's not what women are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be silly and fluffy and that kind of an approach. And so we tried to change that, but it just didn't have, that wasn't the formula. It didn't have the departments for that. So to go to a city magazine, I think people were kind of skeptical because of Amarillo's style and Accent West. And um, it took it was, to, looking back to me, a long, hard road of establishing our voice. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to have a voice, I feel like. Once you figured out that voice, like, how do you... How do you describe it? Like, what was that voice or what was the goal as, you know, maybe not at the beginning, but as you began to get, you know, your, your roots as an editor, as, as someone who is guiding a magazine, like, what did you want it to be? I wanted it to be uh, the positive voice of the Globe News, where it was not um, in-depth 
investigative reporting. It was a celebration of the people and, and the talent in the city. So I wanted to keep it positive. Mm-hmm. We should say, um, for listeners that don't know, at, at some point, Jenny left, sadly, had to move away. Um, and eventually you brought me on board as a freelancer. Uh, and so we collaborated on the magazine itself for 10 years, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one feature after another, which I haven't, I don't know if I've talked too much about that on the podcast. Um, but like, that's one of the reasons that I knew I could do this podcast is because I had met so many people in writing features for Amarillo magazine and knew the stories that often, you know, get, get cut because I'll interview somebody for 30 minutes or 45 minutes and I'm, I'm pursuing a particular story. And so I'm picking quotes to tell that story. But like the entire conversation was just so fascinating. And my wife, Amy used to transcribe that for me, you know, so that I could write the stories and she would just be like, this person is so interesting to listen to them talk about what they do. And I thought, well, if, you know, she's enjoying you know, this, this rambling interview where I'm trying to get a, a feature article out of it, then other people might enjoy that too. And so it, it's a, it was a direct lead in to this podcast. Um, and I, I, I think that what you ended up creating really was a, a really sophisticated magazine and one that, um, I think the city was proud of and the advertisers yeah. really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's as an outsider and insider, cause I was never on staff. I was never in an office with you or anything like that. I was just kind of working at length, but um, I was proud of it. Um, I was too. I was proud to work with you and still am. So, Well, and I, I guess readers or listeners or both realize at this point that we're talking in the past tense yes. about Amarillo Magazine. Yeah. Um, and so I, you don't have to go into all the, the details, but um, tell me a little bit about how that journey or that job came to an end. Just um, the corporate world and the the exit of a local influence in Amarillo, and then we can just leave it at that. Okay. So there. we'd had a sense over the past couple of years mm-hmm. that some of the changes in the industry were making us think that maybe the the magazine, as as it had been, was changing. Yes. So decreasing budgets, decreasing uh, employee counts, just that. A, a tying of your hands, really, mm-hmm. to be able to do a quality job. I think, you know, when budgets become more important than people. And so. that's not even particularly an Amarillo story at this point. It's no. happening in communities and newsrooms our size all over the nation. So you found yourself in January um, with an opportunity for changing things up. Yes. Tell me, tell me about that process. As far as starting... Well, um, what were you thinking when when you realized that that was coming to an end? I was initially devastated and angry and um, really didn't know what kind of future that I could or would have. I could not imagine being part of a corporation. I couldn't imagine going to an eight-to-five job. I couldn't imagine where my skill set would take me, where I could... um, I I would have felt like I would have had to have tampered down how I operated every day hmm. and kind of fit a, a mold that maybe I wouldn't be comfortable in. Cause you had a lot of freedom. Very much. What you were doing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was your baby and you were calling the shots. Mm-hmm. Very little oversight. Um, if any, uh, just the ability to, to create at will, which is, uh, 
when with my personality being a creative, it was just a blast. It's a blast. So I, I couldn't imagine where I, where I would fit. Um, but then you and I met immediately. So really there was never a breath, a breathing time. I never stopped. And you've brought it up repeatedly that I said, how am I supposed to turn it off? Mm -hmm. I, I grieved over that. How am I supposed to stop telling the stories of Amarillo? How am I supposed to stop looking at something and thinking, Ooh, that's a great story. Or we could do, you know, a fashion shoot here, or we could profile this business or any of those kinds of things. How could I fit that kind of brain into an office job? Right. I can't imagine. So I would never have thought that, that we would be starting a magazine, but I'm so excited. I, I feel like you called me once you realized that, that that job was over, you know, that probably that same morning. I did. And we had a long conversation and I said, okay, sit on it for a few days and let's talk on Friday or something, you mm -hmm. know? Um, you actually said, be mad over the weekend and okay. that's all. You're entitled to those many days of anger. And then after that, let's talk and plan. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, we did. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you and I had talked for a long time, um, probably a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I, I remember a conversation on my back porch during uh, early in COVID where we were just checking in on each other. And um, I knew you'd had some frustrations. And I said, man, what if we do something like this someday? And it was still just really, um, really just a dream. Like we didn't have any, we didn't know what was happening in the world at that point. Um, but less than a year after that, we're, we're rolling on, yes. on something new. So I'd, I'd like, I'd, I don't want to be the one telling the story. You're the guest. Tell listeners kind of the process that we went through uh, once we sat down in your house that Friday and said, okay, what are we going to do next? Um, what, was, what was going through your mind and, and kind of where did it go from there? Well, I had no idea what you were thinking. Um, and starting a magazine seemed too risky. So I, I really didn't know what you had in mind, but when you came over and we said, so do you really want to do this and started planning, it moved so quickly. I feel like it, it has been nothing but open doors from the minute that we said we're doing this, um, from lawyers to accountants to the printer to everything has been easy, really compared to what I feel like I've been through the past probably five years in the publishing world. Hmm. Um, it has been nonstop. Yes. To me, there've been hurdles of course, but um, so much encouragement and so much, so many people, people that have rallied around me and you of course, but, but at a time when I was devastated, people who have rallied around me and helped me, it's been incredible to me. Yeah, I don't even know if you would, say this, well, I'll say it for you, that we have, every time we have met with people, whether it's a potential advertiser, whether it's our attorney setting up a media company, anything like that, like you have such a reputation in this area because everybody has worked with you with the magazine. And so you had so many people completely on your side when you said, this is what we're thinking about. And the, the first times we were kind of tentative, we were like, we think we're starting a magazine. Uh, and the excitement that people showed us was yeah. just off the charts and consistent from meeting to meeting. It has been overwhelming and humbling to me because um, I think 
specific comments stand out, but from the minute that we both posted on social media when we knew that it was official, um, when I announced that I had been let go, Nick Gerlich, because uh, I, I love that man, he said... Marketing professor at yes, WT. At WT. Um, he's been an important voice in, in my time at the Globe News. He said, just because um, certain entities don't realize your value, we do. And I really clung to that because when you, when you work for, when you struggle for so long, you lose sight of that. And Mm -hmm. so I doubted what my future could be if I would have a future and what it would look like. So for, for, for people to give me the vote of confidence that they have after struggling for so long has been something that I will be forever grateful for. We've said in our own conversations that, you know, with a magazine, whether it's relationships with advertisers, whether it's relationships with, you know, the experts that provide content, that it's, it's never about, like, nobody's asking how many readers do you have? Nobody's asking what kind of paper are you using? Nobody's asking, like, detailed questions. It's all about the relationships that you've built. And they see that, that you're involved with it. And so they're like, we want to be involved too, because you've got this track record. And um, that's one thing that has kind of struck me during this process is that the most important thing in Amarillo is the relationships that you have with the people mm-hmm. here. And those you've, you've developed and you've earned, you know, over years and years of working with them. Yes. Was that surprising to you that, that that's kind of how all the meetings went? Uh, it was never about, okay, show me, show me some results, show me some numbers, Tell me how many people are going to read this and then we'll commit to advertising as opposed to, we trust you. We think this is going to be awesome. Tell us what we can do. It's shocking. It is. It's surprising and it's not surprising. And, you know, in, in the aftermath, those first few days, um, Jenny Miller, when we talked, said um, that she knew, she knew that the community would rally around me. And I said, I hope so. Because again, I didn't know what I was looking at. And it has been incredible to me because it has been a, a huge vote of confidence. Unlike if if we were not known, if the two of us were not known, we would have to have a product in place first. Right, right. And people are 100% in because they know us, they know what we're capable of, they know the commitment, and they know the quality. And so... Uh, just it has been overwhelmingly positive and humbling, unbelievable to me. Let's talk about the name. You came up with it, yeah. Um, which I, we we entered the process, and I like as as a copywriter with corporate clients all over the the country. Like that's something that I do is I help name products a lot of times, and I'll come up with a list of, of fifty potential names and send it, and we'll whittle it down and. Um, that's actually something that's that's part of my job, and so I thought, okay, I got to come up with a good name uh, for this magazine. I came up with a few, and we batted them around. But uh, Brick and Elm was your idea, and it was uh, it was something that we were excited about almost from the beginning. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't plan on naming it. You're the word guy, so yeah. um, it just was a, again like my most of my journey, if not all of my journey with the Globe News and Amarillo Magazine, and now this a surprise that um, instincts are so important because I 
one of my roadblocks in my early days at the Globe News was that lack of official education right? in a heavily academic career. <laughs> so There's a lot of imposter syndrome, I yeah, think, happening. Huge. But it is humbling, again, to use the word again, uh, to rely on instincts and to trust them. But I just sat down one night and wrote down every word I could think of that made me think of Amarillo, and the two of them went together to me, and... It was scary to put it out there. It's scary to, you know, release it to the public mm-hmm. and go, what do you think? <laughs> but it's been super positive and it's crazy. It feels right. It felt right the minute that I wrote them down on my notepad. We wanted an ampersand just because yep. we both thought ampersands were cool, especially in a masthead of a magazine. Um, but, you know, you, you come up with a name and, and the process is, is funny because we come up with it and then we're like, this is a cool name. This is what we're going to do. How do we explain it to people? What do we tell people? Because they're going to ask, where'd that come from? Uh, and, and really, the, the brick streets, the elm trees are such a perfect metaphor for Amarillo because they're so recognizable. They're so much a part of our history. Um, but you know what? Brick streets take you places. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lead mm-hmm. you forward. They can lead you into the past. Elm trees provide life and growth and shade and, and all those things. And they're also a tie to stuff that happened in Amarillo, you know, decades and decades ago. So it ended up being like this really perfect mm-hmm. metaphor that we could use in addition to just sounding cool yeah. as a magazine title. And I, I feel like you, you always challenge me and make me better, but I thought it was hilarious when you said, sell it to me <laughs> on t- text, sell it to me. And it's like, well, you know, the history of Amarillo, the history of every town square, every courthouse um, brick streets and elm trees that they, t- that it's like peas and carrots. They just go together. Yeah. So, but the ampersand for me too, um, I've seen it the whole time that I've had the opportunity to do this. And then coming out of COVID more so that sense of community that I don't know if I'm saying it, how, how to say it right, but us being so attracted to that ampersand to me, it's been um, that and like it's me and you that make mm-hmm. this great and me and community partners that create this beautiful magazine and our designers and that inclusiveness, that sense of community. So. Yeah. Addition yes. is, is always better. Combination mm-hmm. is always better. Yeah. In something like this. Tell me about your vision for the magazine. And, and I'm asking this as somebody who knows it, obviously, because I'm involved with it, but for listeners, like, what do you want it to be? Is it the same thing that you were doing with Amarillo Magazine? Or do you feel, because this is a reinvention, is is there something bigger? I think it's bigger. I think it's everything that I wished for, for Amarillo Magazine, that I couldn't attain. Because we will have control locally. Uh, we will not have a limit on the creativity and the ideas that we can launch. So I think to connect more with readers on a more personal level, the ability to do that, the freedom to do it, to help the community more. I think Mm -hmm. I've seen, I I saw Amarillo magazine as a service um, to educate people here about the city, to get the word out for nonprofits, that kind of thing. But I see brick and Elm as an amped up version of that. Okay. Um, With your influence more. So I think that it will be even better quality. Uh, with our partnership. But I, I just think the many things that we've talked about and planned um, to create 
more of an experience on so many different levels. I didn't have the ability to do that before. So, And we should say that we have real big ideas beyond a print product, you know, that, that is coming out, you know, hopefully within the next week or two. Uh, I say hopefully because we're in the middle of, of putting a magazine together yeah. right now uh, for the, the May issue. And that timeline has been so, so compressed. Mm-hmm. Um, we tell people, yeah, we're doing this. And they say, when's your first issue coming out? And we're like, May. Uh, and that has been surprising to almost everybody we've yes. told how fast we've done it. It'll be out. Yeah. We'll be finished this weekend. So on Monday, the 26th, it goes to the printer. And I think that's a testament to, you know, you've spent the past 10 or 12 years putting out a monthly magazine and at the last few years, two monthly magazines because you're doing Lubbock too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know how to do stuff at speed like that. And so, mm-hmm. yes, we've been starting a business and there's some, there's some stuff that you have to do with that. But we were never worried really about the magazine part. No. You know, maybe designing it, maybe figuring out what it's going to be and look like, but actually doing stories and putting that together, that's second nature for Mm -hmm. both of us. Yes. Has it felt different, this first issue, from doing it yourself, calling the shots, has has it felt more freeing than maybe, you know, a year ago when you were putting together the May 2020 issue of Amarillo Magazine? Very much so. I mean, I was isolated at home for one thing. Well, true. And then there are there are additional burdens with wearing advertising hats and accounting hats and bookkeeping hats and all those kinds of things that maybe I don't enjoy as much uh, that have stretched me. So I th- the fatigue level is more yeah. currently based on those kinds of things and trying to do things excellently, uh, t- trying to juggle so many things, but it won't be this hard again. It seems much easier, much freer. That's what I keep telling myself. It won't be this hard it again. Won't. I keep telling Kayla Morris, the designer, it'll never be this bad again. Yeah. We're, it, it'll we're reinventing everything yes. while we're creating the first thing. We won't right. have to do that. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, you have, you've lived here all your life. Uh, you were born here. You've had multiple jobs. But what have you learned about Amarillo in the process of creating a magazine whether it's Amarillo Magazine, whether it's the new Brick and Elm that tell the stories of this city, like what have you learned yourself about where you live? I think it's the funniest thing because even though I'm a native, I was never connected to the city because my parents were not connected to the city. Yes, we lived here, we worked here. They raised a family here, but my parents were very connected to their heritage and where they came from. Hmm. For my whole life, my dad called home where he came from. He would say, we're going back home, even though I know he loved Amarillo, but they never were connected. So I always felt very isolated. So I think it's, it's the funniest thing to be so connected to the city that I was not a part of growing up. Um, so I, I feel like we get to know more than anyone Mm -hmm. because it is more in depth when you, when you're going for a print product, it is not a quick overview that you might get on TV or radio because of time limitations. We spent, we spend sometimes hours with people at photo shoots and on interviews. And so I, I have learned more than I would have ever dreamed possible about the culture and the people. It's not, 
it's still not where I feel Western or what people would expect a Texan to be. I often hear that, that, um, from people that they think I wasn't, that I'm not from here, that I'm not a native. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I know more stories I feel like, and you do too, than, than most anyone about this town, but not generally related to history. It's more here and now. Right. In the last 13 years. There's, there's a larger narrative nationally that traditional print media is, is either in the process of dying or the process of being reinvented. And while that's true of, of magazines, um, or while that's true of newspapers, I should say, magazines are a little bit different. And, and I wonder what your perspective is on starting a print magazine in this environment where everybody's talking about the death of print and the death of local news and, and all those things. Like, what part of that narrative is on your mind and, and how, how do you think Brick and Elm will fit into that narrative? I was more worried about it before COVID, um, the death of print, and people constantly asking me, how much longer do you think you have? How much longer do you think newspapers will survive? How much longer do you think media will survive? And it made me feel very defensive. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought maybe I had 10 years, five years left. Um, and COVID fast-forwarded everything as far as national media is concerned. But coming out of COVID, we have also stepped back. Uh, people are hungry for connection. People are sick and tired of looking at their screens and being holed up in their houses, and they want to feel that print, a book, a printed book, mm -hmm. a printed magazine that they can spend time with, that they can look at and appreciate visually, not another computer screen. They are looking, especially younger people, looking back at the way their grandparents lived. And the, thing they're, the, the, um, the things they did, the things they valued, that slower time. They want to step back and enjoy a cup of coffee that takes 20 minutes to make. They want to knit. They want to make homemade bread. They, they want to experience. And so to deliver that experience through Brick and Elm, it, it is exactly the perfect time. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by my friends at the WT Enterprise Center, which this summer will celebrate its 20th year of helping local entrepreneurs build great companies. I spent several years as a mentor with the Enterprise Center. I'm also an entrepreneur myself, as we discuss in this episode, but the support, encouragement, and expertise they offer is invaluable to this community. So let's say you have a business idea, but you're not sure where to start, or you have an existing business, but you're going through growing pains. You're overwhelmed by stuff like funding or marketing or your business model or HR. The experts at the Enterprise Center can help coach you through every step in that process. They can connect you to the right resources to address all of your problems and grow your business. Learn more at WTEnterpriseCenter.com. Okay, I'm back with Michelle McCaffrey, the co-publisher of Brick and Elm Magazine and my media company partner, or I should say I'm probably your media company partner. You, you have more experience than I do at what we're trying to do here. Um, but this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. And uh, Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes more than 80 quilts of various sizes made by Panhandle people which 
those quilts are not always on display, but they exist in the museum. And the the fact that there are quilts made by pioneers, you know, from the 1910s and something in that building, it just, I, I love that. I think that's super cool. My grandmother was a quilter though, so um, I, I know what goes into some of those things. But you can learn more uh, about the museum at panhandleplains.org. Okay, eight straight. Uh, I'm going to ask you the similar eight straight questions that I ask most of my guests. Uh, the first one is, what's one thing 2020 revealed to you about local people? How much I need them. Okay. I um, am very introverted and joked around at the beginning of COVID uh, about loving being at home and that it didn't bother me. And toward the end of the year, as we started to engage more with the public, we weren't able to go out and do photo shoots or do anything. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of the last issues that I worked on for Amarillo magazine was about shopping local. It was a reminder. And because I was worried about all of my partners Mm -hmm. that I'd worked with forever and talking to them and hearing about their concerns and that kind of thing, it made me miss going and seeing all of them because I used to go, I used to spend so much time in people's businesses uh, talking to people, collaborating with them, shopping for different photo shoots and that kind of thing. And so um, it, it just reminded me um, that sense of community, how much I need the people of Amarillo. And you went from working in an office place with other people to doing the magazine at home, you know, throughout the, the rest of, of last year which kind of paved the way for what we're doing now. I mean, yes. we, we started and we're like, I don't think we need an office. I've worked from home from, for 12 years. You've worked from home for the past year and it, it kind of just feels right. It does. Although the thing that we've really been excited about is that, you know, meeting with advertisers, meeting with potential partners for the magazine, we've actually gotten out and had meetings with people in their businesses and it's been super refreshing. They're excited. We're excited. It's that kind of opening up aspect of Amarillo has has been a lot of fun. You realize how much you missed it. Yes, very much so. And that that connection again, in all of our sales meetings over the past weeks, we were late to pretty much every meeting. Right. Because everyone was is hungry for community and they wanted to tell us what they'd been through. They wanted to tell us if they have had COVID, if they how sick they were, if they were vaccinated, what it made them feel like what it did to their business, stories of hope, um, how they coped, that kind of thing. So encouraging, truly uh, incredible experience to be able to, again, even though we're not printing all of it, to hear the stories of local people and local business people, how resilient they are. Yeah, exactly. What does this area have too much of? Litter. And I'll throw stray animals in with that. Okay. So we throw them out like they're trash. But people here still litter incredibly much the the thing about i I always thought there's a lot of litter in amarello at least the wind blows it away but then i began to realize that the wind just moves it around Mm -hmm. place to place i mean half the litter is probably from new mexico you know the the way that the the wind blows sometimes but yeah it it doesn't just stay it it goes to all it circulates town Mm -hmm. too many people still throw trash out the window yeah well, hopefully we'll have some good movement on the animal control side of things with some of the stuff the city's doing, but it's been a problem for a long time. Mm-hmm. We haven't really figured out a solution for it. What does this area not have enough of? Tolerance. All right. Unpack that a little bit. 
Um, I think that Amarillo is a good place to be. And I think that the majority of people are very well-meaning, but, but the majority of people are very alike mm-hmm. um, in my experience being raised here. Um, and that fleshes out when you take your young children to travel, uh, which we did, and they would gawk at people that were different. Right. Then you know you're, you're in a bubble. And um, in a bigger city, you could, you know, that's one thing that I, that I like when I travel is that I'm anonymous. Mm-hmm. And I can feel a little bit more free and not be known. Uh, you're not going to run into someone every corner that you turn. Um, so in, in that, to me, when people are very different from the group of people that you spend time with, um, they do stand out. And sometimes that is detrimental to that individual. Uh, and it's hard for me to watch. So it's important to me, you know, we've had the discussion through our sales calls that we want to encourage people to leave their bubbles mm-hmm. and to um, learn more about other people and other things. And so I'd like to see that improve in this city. And that's something that drives us with mm-hmm. Brick and Elm is to tell the stories that not everybody's hearing. And it drives me with the podcast to mm-hmm. introduce guests that you're not going to otherwise run into. Because I, I do think that it's important. You know, if, if, if you only wanted to know the stories of the people that you're closest to, then you don't need media. You don't right. need local news. Um, and so to have an outlet to introduce the city to each other I think is, is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Especially in these times. I mean, you know, you hear that everyone has a story and maybe that's not the best way to say it, but if you just, if you can get to talk to someone who's not like you for just a little bit, then you see the value in humanity. Yeah. That's how not, empathy builds. Yes. And that is, uh, you know, that's not what we're seeing on social media. Uh, but in this town and the people that I meet, I do see that. I just want more of it. Okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Flat. Flat and very severe uh, as far as the weather. But there's a beauty to that severity. Yeah. It is a beautiful place, but maybe not to people who are used to water and trees and okay. flowers and that kind of thing. There is very much a, a beauty, and I think that's partly why the people here are so resilient, because it's a, tr- a challenge to live here. And people don't understand. Yeah, sometimes it feels like the mm-hmm. the land does not want us here. Right. Um, and it's trying to push us away. And, and we're like gritting our teeth and holding on to it. And that makes, that builds strength. Mm-hmm. Um, when you travel, every time we come home and you look out and see the brown circles or how very, very flat it is, it's just remarkable. When you see, you know, when you when you travel to the coasts and you see wooded areas. It's so very flat. Mm -hmm. People just can't grasp it until they see it. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Ong. Okay. In Wolfland. Um, When I was a little girl, my parents were friends with an older woman named Walora. I loved that name, Walora. And it was the very first place I spent the night was at Walora's house. Hmm. And she had um, a sweet little bungalow on Ong. And I loved going there. I loved the brick streets, yeah. and I loved um, the trees. I loved the feeling in her house. She was really cool. Uh, one of she was a, a very independent single woman, and was um, 
kind of in the in crowd when the Talmadge was here. Oh yeah. I Historic had lots of building yes, downtown. She lived at the Talmadge okay. and she had lots of, of stories uh, from her days as a single girl, but I loved her front porch. I loved the feel of it. Uh, we lived in a newer area in Southwest Amarillo. And so it just isn't that same. There's just, I love Ong street. It's such a weird name for a street too. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I'll is it a say, person? It, it's, it's named after a person from what I remember that the original developer, um, Mr. Wolflin was friends with several police officers when he built that or developed that neighborhood. And I believe Hughes, Hayden and Ong are built or are named for the, the last names of huh. those, either they were sheriff's deputies or something like that. Um, which is weird because you go from uh-huh. Ong and Hughes to like all the presidential yes. street names. And it, so it doesn't make sense. You think, who is this famous Ong? Well, he was just, you know, some sheriff's deputy in Amarillo back in 1920. Oh, fascinating. I didn't know that. I think that's what it is. I probably, probably should go back and yeah. make sure. Uh, what's your favorite local restaurant? This may be a hard one for you to answer because we profile restaurants. You've profiled restaurants, you know, for years in Amarillo. I hate to choose one uh, because when people ask me, we we generally, I've, I generally know the newest restaurants. I generally know m- more about offerings at restaurants. So it, it's a question people ask me that uh, random people will text and say, where should I go have brunch? So I generally have a, a certain type of food and that's my favorite place. Okay. So I have lots of favorites. Um but anything local. Yeah. I don't like chains. You've you've probably eaten at more of the restaurants in Amarillo than most people living in the city, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Far more than I have. Um it's it's one of the ma- major perks of the job. Okay. But we we have a food culture here that is so important that I'm really proud of. I'm proud of um how hard people, how those local restaurant owners, how hard they work to bring that culture here. So I'm proud that we, I mean, people like chains. It's not, and it's not like there's anything wrong with that. They're still locally owned too, a lot of the time. Uh, but I love the more of a foodie scene. I always feel like the chains are for the people on I-40 mm-hmm. who just need to stop at someplace familiar on the way through town. Mm-hmm. Or people who wish we were Dallas and Fort Worth yeah. and we finally arrived when we get that chain, but we already have arrived because we have such talent here, whether whether they are an actual educated chef or not. Mm-hmm. So um, we we have the corner on the market of dives, I think. So and that's so fun. And but some of the best chefs in Amarillo mm-hmm. didn't go to a great culinary nope. institute. They they learned on the job and yep. are are fantastic. Yes. You know? Yeah, we have great great food scene. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I also don't have a favorite local coffee shop because I'm entitled to my two cups in the morning and then I can't do it again. Or I'm a, I'm a shaking little chihuahua. So um, I don't spend time in coffee shops, unfortunately. I just have my coffee in the morning and then that's that. Okay. So. You're an at-home coffee person. Mm-hmm. That's okay. <laughs> because you need me to... To justify it for Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I feel better. <laughs> okay. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? We did a photo shoot there for Emerald Magazine would be the last time. So I can't remember which one. Possibly a beer pairing food shoot. Uh, I think I remember that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty soon after they launched their brewery. Yes. It's either that. It was either that or Best of Amarillo. We did a cover shoot with the with the entire Lee family. Okay. One of those. It's uh 
It's always a good location for a photo shoot, though. Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong with all the stuff happening in the mm-hmm. background at the Big Texas. Yes. Well, and then I went to I went to music at Starlight Ranch a few years ago, so I guess that would be the it's, most recent. It's uh, corollary to the Big Texan, I mm-hmm. guess. Okay, that's the conclusion of the eight straight questions. Michelle, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Shockingly, you need to know about Brick and Elm. I know okay. you're, you're, you're surprised I brought that up. I'll, uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> Um, I can't choose one local thing to endorse because we um, we just get to discover so much in the job that we do. So if you want to know more about Amarillo, you want to meet people, you want to experience Amarillo in a different way and find out about those things, then read Brick and Elm. Subscribe to it even. Yes. That's, that's the best way. Yes. Make sure you get it. Okay. Michelle McCaffrey, thank you so much for thanks being for on the podcast. Me. Thank you. Well, thanks for uh, starting a business with me. No, thank you. My goodness onward and upward and new adventures and that concludes the episode thanks to michelle for the interview if you want to know more about brick and elm well you know what we'd love that uh, you can follow us on social media or go to brickandelm.com to subscribe it's fourteen ninety four for six issues a year that's an annual subscription rate You'll be able to buy physical copies of the magazine at Burrowing Owl, Barnes & Noble, and From Sixth Collective. But if you subscribe, we'll mail it right to your door. As always, thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thanks uh, to her also for being the cover photographer for the first issue of this new magazine. We also want to say thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week, and to the Enterprise Center and Pestex for their ongoing sponsorship. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hamarillo. Hamarillo's executive producers include Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Elda, Josh Wood, Wilson Lemieux, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves. Look for a column by Wes in every issue of Brick and Elm, in fact. Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 194. My name is Jason Boyette. And I'll see you next week.